Hello and welcome to Goblet of Wine, a drunken Harry Potter podcast. I'm Hannah and I'm on my own doing the intro today because me and Charlie forgot to record it together because as you know, we are great at running this so-called podcast. We are two 20-somethings who are reading our favourite childhood book with added alcohol and cynicism. In today's episode, we are reading chapter 12 of Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince and we are joined by the absolutely incredible Jesse and Lark from The Gaily Prophet. So grab a glass of your favourite alcoholic beverage and join us on this drunken, reminiscent journey. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. Hi. Today, we are joined by two very, very special guests. We have Lark and Jesse from the Gaily Prophets. Hello. Hello, everyone. (laughs) out there I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's brilliant straight away <laughs> how do you how do you introduce yourself i don't know oh, it's I always know. so hard we always whenever anyone we go on someone else's we do the same tone of voice high at the exact same time yeah. so we both go hi <laughs> yeah. the exact same time <laughs> which doesn't help as no americans can tell our voices apart anyway and then we just kind of morph into one as we say hello. Yes. So this is a very exciting guest episode because I think we have had this in the works for pretty much like three quarters of a year coming on for a year. So we are so, so excited to have you guys on. We have a few questions that we like to ask. And the first one is if you guys can introduce yourselves and then also tell us a bit about your experience with Harry Potter, how you got into it, kind of where you are with it right now. Yeah, and why you guys started your podcast I'm Jesse Blount, uh, co-host of all of the many shows of Hashtag Ruthless Productions, one of which is The Gaily Prophet, our first podcast that me and Lark started because we really like deeply analyzing Harry Potter yes. for all of its, uh, for the good and the bad, hence the ruthless part of it. And, <laughs> Very um, relatable. Yep. And I'm one of the millennials who like started reading, like I, like I read book four when I was like 14 and then like the last book came out like when I graduated college so very much like growing up with Harry Potter like being part of the sort of like fandom when it was we when people didn't know how the series was going to end which was an interesting and exciting time now in 2022 it's a little bit less so because <laughs> mm-hmm. um, scoundrel JKR is essentially a villain from her own series yes. Yes. <laughs> in a yeah. way that is like, like, unironically. Die young or live long enough to see yourself become the villain is really where, where <laughs> yeah. she went. <laughs> yep. Un- unnecessarily, yep. I still think. And so now it is my goal just to make everything about Harry Potter extra gay, just to make her and people who agree with her incredibly mad. I love it. <laughs> so. I love that. Yep, that sounds accurate. <laughs> <laughs> That is amazing. Thank you. Yeah. So I'm Lark. My pronouns are he, him. I think Jesse did a great job describing our podcast. I'm going to plug our other ones a little bit, I think, because we also make a podcast about the Simon Snow series by Rainbow Rowell called Escape from Reality, where the middle of the word escape is the word gay. Escape. I love that. Yes. Um, (laughs) And... We just spent the summer making uh, the Gay Pirate podcast, which is about our flag means death. And we have a Patreon podcast about Buffy called We Are the Gayers. And I hope you are seeing a theme in our podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Also, for folks that have not heard of the Simon Snow series, I think that if you like Harry Potter, you would really love this series because it is 
well-written and characters are actually queer. So it's great. It's kind of loosely a like Harry Draco alternate universe. Like, like loosely the starting point was like, what if like better Harry Potter, but then it became just like really, really good. It's, it's super good and canonically gay and like, the magic system is much more fun than Harry Potter, which we will talk about some Latin in this episode. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> amazing. That was amazing. The next question we normally ask guests is what are your folks Hogwarts, Hogwarts house? Uh, my Hogwarts house is Gryffindor and amazing. I am a Slytherin rising. So or <laughs> Slytherin secondary, whatever, whatever that means. I love that. I am also a Gryffindor, but with a Ravenclaw uh, secondary, Ravenclaw moon. <laughs> I love that. I like to describe That's it. such a good way of phrasing it. It I is. Love that. I'm also surrounded by other Gryffindors today. You oh, are truly outnumbered today. I am. Yeah. I do not like being the only Slytherin in the room. <laughs> Aha. Well, I mean, I'm partly Slytherin, so you have some <laughs> Yeah. And then the final and most important question we ask guests is, what are we drinking today? Okay, I'll answer this because I chose because Jesse was out of town when I got that email. Um, <laughs> we are drinking what I learned is apparently called an orange blossom, which seems like a much more fancy title than gin and orange juice needs, but that's what it is. <laughs> yeah, we've made one. Um, I've, I've, I've tasted a bit, but I'm going to pretend I haven't and taste it oh, for the yeah, first time now. Try. Cheers. I'm so used to having vodka oranges. Hmm. And gin, uh, no, orange is such a strong flavor. It just feels like I'm having a vodka orange, but I do really like it. Yeah, that's nice. Tastes it's like also perking juice. me up. It's making me feel like it's the morning yeah, time, which is I good. I do, yeah. <laughs> that is why I chose it. <laughs> yeah. Me, me and Hannah are like currently hungover after like a four day boozy weekend. So drinking orange juice right now and hair of the dog is perfect. Yeah. Excellent. It's, it's making me feel yeah. good. Yeah, I added the extra sweet vermouth to the orange blossom, which is really great. I, find. I so. didn't realize it was meant to be sweet vermouth and I've just added normal vermouth. I don't know what that di- extra dry vermouth. I don't know what difference that makes, but I'm enjoying it. <laughs> yes. it's. Nice. I mean, that's the important thing. Yeah. yeah. Chapter 12, Silver and Opals. Chapter opens up with Harry complaining, like he always does, that Dumbledore has disappeared from the school and left Harry feeling really confused because he was in the middle of all these lessons mm-hmm. and now he thinks Dumbledore has just run away. I wonder why Harry has abandonment issues. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> could that be? <laughs> but also, this is so typical Dumbledore to be like, yes, I'm going to act really mysterious and go away rather than like, I know he's waiting to tell Harry he's looking for Horcruxes, but just say like, oh, I have order business. I have to keep leaving the school don't just be like psych i've gone maybe be like i've got a long distance boyfriend yeah just just lie (laughs) yeah um harry's ptsd is like so intense in this and it's like dumbledore you could communicate just like the tiniest bit Mm -hmm. just like the smallest amount would be great for this child but i think it's on purpose i think he likes to keep harry in a state of like i think he likes to traumatize harry (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I think that's sort of his general vibe for everyone that seems to be around him. 
Not to mention, it's like, is it really a good idea just to leave for stretches on end when you are allegedly running a school with the like growing fascist like leader who like is trying to kill you and one of your students? No, it, I think it's like... I think it's truly better for the school that he leaves and he leaves McGonagall in charge. <laughs> like, this That's school does point. not have a good track record with Dumbledore. McGonagall is doing a far That's superior fair. job whilst also being a full-time transfiguration teacher. I was about she... to say, I would love to see some quiet quitting from McGonagall who's just like <laughs> either I get the headmaster's salary and my teacher's salary or yeah. sorry I'm gone she's just like <laughs> sitting in a class like as a cat like no I'm not teaching this yeah <laughs> everyone's again. like wait you're the deputy headmistress and she's like I'm acting my wage I'm yeah. acting my wage <laughs> I will yeah. do none of this once again a woman is doing a man's job and the man is getting the credit yep truly I just hope McGonagall has some really excellent scotch for like this Oh, basically from this book out because I'm just like you are under so much you know she does you know it absolutely know she does and I like to think that she's got like a trick as well where she'll like drink it in her cat form to get drunk because her stomach is smaller so she's like got a cat bowl of whiskey like yeah, whiskey and milk. It's, oh. it's like a cat bowl of, of whiskey in the staff room by the fireplace. Every new defense teacher is like, what is this? It's like, don't ask questions. It's got a little side on, like, keep your paws off. Yeah. <laughs> then, then Mrs. Norris gets confused one day and doesn't realize and then gets absolutely wankered. <laughs> Oh, Oh, this is a much better story than what's going on right now. Let's write this. Yeah. I would read this book 110 Yes. The short escapades of drunk McGonagall. Mm -hmm. So it's time for a Hogsmeade trip day, day trip. I feel like we haven't gone to Hogsmeade in ages. Like I don't remember in the last book them going to Hogsmeade, but maybe I'm just being really stupid. Or did Harry get banned from going to Hogsmeade? Probably. Props. He probably did. Harry wakes up in the morning and it's really early. So he thinks, I'm going to read my textbook in bed, which he has to clarify to the reader himself is not his regular behaviour because in Ron's words, that is indecent in anybody except Hermione, who was simply weird that way. I love a good anti-school counterculture. (laughs) Men are ridiculous. And by weird, it's just like, her. by weird, it's like, Hermione's just a book. Yeah. Like, she's a nerdy book. I read this chapter just, three times, and every single time I read that sentence first as who is simply wired that way, which what? is true. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's like, this, it wouldn't true. be an insult if that's what it said because it's just like no that's just a fact about Hermione. Yeah. I love how Ron's got to the point where he's like yeah that's indecent and disgusting behaviour in anyone else but I will let it slide with Hermione because but at this point we've spent six books with her and we kind of like just have her around like it's fine. I'm kind right. of quietly in love with her so we'll deal with it. <laughs> 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 yeah so Harry's lying there reading his potions book and he's thinking to himself that some of the spells are must be self-invented and I was like okay first off like obviously spells can be self-invented and I think that's quite cool in terms of like how magic works because like it implies that there's something with the words and something with the one movement and the intention and that makes a spell but how the hell do we even begin the process of making up a spell especially something like making toenails grow faster which is not something that would have like a latin word for it like (laughs) yeah it really annoys me that we never get it dived into like what is the process of actually inventing a spell yeah like do do they learn that in advanced newts because that 
would be really cool to see. I suppose we never saw the seventh year, but yeah. I think a certain education at Hogwarts. I think this is. I feel like inventing new magical spells is primarily for just the weird the weird kids like Snape. <laughs> Considering how like there seems to be no creativity. I mean, it's sort of like you're learning the basics, mm. but even. I mean, creative writing is a thing, even after you're learning, like, in, like you know, spelling and grammar yeah. and, like, literature. And it's just, like, there's no kind of creative spell casting happening. It's all just very, like, you're going to learn that. You're going to learn X, Y out of the book. And if not, you're going to fail. And it's, like... Yeah, that's yeah. a very good point, actually. There's not a lot of chances, like, opportunities at Hogwarts to be creative. No, no. it's very, like, Victorian rote learning. Like, yeah. memorise stuff, do stuff. Memorise stuff, do stuff. Mm. Yeah, I would hate that. Yeah. Are you folks familiar with Chuck Tingle at all? Yes. No. no. Yes. Okay. Yes. So he wrote, he's a, like, objectively, he's, like, a goofy erotica author, but, like, also he's maybe, like, the best human that currently exists right now um (laughs) and he wrote he's now written two harry potter parody books in response to jk rowling's transphobia they're called the harriet porber books oh yes we do know these we've been meaning to read them so they're great and what we've talked with him um about both books and one of the things that like came up in both conversations was like he's like so curious about the world that like all of the magic in his books even though they're very short and also were Mm. written in like two days because that's how he does his writing like harriet is inventing spells people are inventing spells the how and the why of everything that's magic in these books is like deeply delved into and like jesse and i are both just like Harry Potter leaves us so hungry for these mm. answers. Like, we just want to know so badly how you make a spell. Like, what does it mean that Snape, like, the, the Half-Blood Prince, like, struggled to figure out Levy Corpus? Like, what? What, what is that? Because it literally is just, like, two Latin words. So, like, what was he doing? What what was taking place? And we never get answers. And it just, like, hurts. <laughs> like, just, we just want it. I think it might be part of why the Harry Potter series has like such a diehard fan base because it's so rich in some ways with like the world building and so just completely barren in others. So I think it's like that perfect blend, well frustrating blend, of like having all of this like rich juicy detail that you can sink your teeth into, but also having all of these unanswered questions that you want to find other people and talk to about them, which is also why there's so many podcasts. Yeah, because there is so much to talk about. I think that's how we all start by just being like talking to our friends like, oh my God, what about this? And then next thing you know, it's three years later, you run a podcast about it. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Whoopsie. It also kind of frustrates me that, like, this is our only mention, I believe, of spells being made up, like, the self-invented spells. But if people can do that, it kind of implies that, A, the evil people might be, or if they were really evil, would be inventing spells that would have horrible consequences that aren't just, like, the three unforgivable curses. Like, surely there are worse spells yeah. that people could invent that could aren't, Voldemort like, sanctioned. not make, like, one spell that just automatically kills 
every muggle like well yeah like something like that but also why aren't the good people like the, all the order meetings we see and fair enough we don't see those because harry isn't allowed in them but they're more like watch people track people keep an eye on things rather than like hey should we be inventing some spells that could maybe like be intense defensive magic like rather than just like yeah you should really get good at those shield charms like it this is our only mention of it and it's used for well the payoff is it's used for comedic effect in this chapter to then have like terrible consequences later on but but then it just kind of implies oh self-made spells bad yeah so harry finds a note that says a spell what is it levy corpus yes but before that i was going to say when it's talking about these self-invented spells that are like written in the margins harry basically is like the narrator is saying that harry has started hexing people in the corridors he has started hexing like crab which kind of fair enough like crab bullies him but he started hexing filch who is like harry is perfectly aware filch does not have magic and cannot defend himself like i know filch is not a very nice person but this so reminds me of what sirius was literally telling harry that james was like and harry didn't like it in the last book that james would hex people in the corridors but by like sixth and seventh year he deflated his head a bit but harry is kind of turned into james in this book like Mm. he's now the quidditch captain he's kind of swarming around the corridors knows he's much more popular this year and is hexing people randomly Yeah, he's a bully. Yeah, Harry has turned into a bully. (laughs) And in the case of Filch, it's punching down. Literally, this is what annoys me. Like, Crab and Goyle, I was like, do you know what? Like, not necessarily fair enough, but he has, they've bullied him and he witnesses them bully other people. So it could be seen as retaliation. But Filch is punching down. The man cannot defend himself. I'm so sorry. I'm just like, you just hit me. You're (laughs) punching down. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Harry's kind of turned into what he. Like the first five books, he was like, I admire my dad so much. And then we had that huge revelation of like, oh, maybe my dad wasn't the greatest person. And then Harry's turned into what he didn't like in his own dad. Yeah. I just find it, it weird. It's also, where are the repercussions for this? Harry like, Potter. It's Harry Dan Potter. <laughs> like literally all the teachers just being like, oh, it's Harry. So uh, let's just let him get on with it. Like what? where are the prefects? I it's mean, Hermione and Ron. <laughs> and Ron. <laughs> good point. Good but point. like... Even besides that, I'm like, if Harry is casting, say, that spell on Filch, mm. the only person I could imagine Filch going to that's not Dumbledore, who clearly is just absentee dad this book, <laughs> would be Snape himself. Because mm. we've already established that they have sort of a rapport as being the sort of out, like, dude outcasts of the castle, essentially. Um, and so it's actually surprising to me that Snape wasn't like, okay, but who did, like, I haven't seen this in a minute. I wonder if yeah. somehow this is related to Harry Potter, mm. you know? Yeah, like, Filch wasn't reporting this to anyone that he was being... Like, maybe he didn't know who was doing it, but, like, Harry was in the corridor three times. like, And mm. as Filch always suspects Harry Potter, like... Yeah, and I feel like, you know, if someone's repeatedly cursing Filch, like, maybe Dumbledore should, you know do an assembly or something. Like, please don't curse the man that cannot... Maybe I shouldn't hire the man that can't do magic to clean my castle. But, like, whenever we were in school, if there was, like, a particular thing going on, like, if there was, like, an outbreak of bullying... Okay, but what you're talking about is someone running a school, like, well. I don't think you've read the Harry Potter books. (laughs) Yeah, no. uh... I'm just bringing a highlight to how bad it is. But, yeah, there was an outbreak of bullying, homophobia, uh, smoking, whatever it was. You got, like... A special little assembly where the teachers were like, hey, don't do that. And they tried, you know, or like, especially if it was like, if it was like the caretaker being repeatedly 
beaten up. I feel like they would like hold an investigation. No. Like, I can't say that ever happened in my school. I was but... gonna say I got hauled into assemblies about skirt lengths, but not much else. Oh, I love being slut shamed. Not surprising. Yeah, I feel like if Dumbledore cared at all about running this school well, he would. That maybe could happen because he's. An out-of-the-box thinker, but he, like, doesn't care, and especially this year, doesn't. Like, he just is literally not here no. um, at all. It's why I love the Star Kid interpretation of Dumbledore, because... <laughs> and I genuinely think it's, like, the most accurate portrayal of Dumbledore that we have, because in this situation, I just imagine, like, the Star Kid Dumbledore and Filch being like, oh, Dumbledore, like, this keeps happening to me, and Dumbledore being like, lol, funny! <laughs> Air horn! <laughs> No, no, but maybe, maybe this yeah. maybe this goes full circle to what we were saying earlier. McGonagall, McGonagall is quiet quitting, so every time Filch tries to go tell her, she's just again sitting in her cat form, lapping up her whiskey, like <laughs> no, <laughs> not dealing with this today. She just like slowly nudges the bowl over towards him in like, her cat form. <laughs> lick, lick the whiskey, you'll be fine. <laughs> and even even if Filch had gone to Snape, he's probably also distracted because he has two masters and not in the fun BDSM way, <laughs> but in the like depressing like Cold War era spy movie way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's a, no one is running this school right now. It's a law unto itself. Yeah. Yeah. I mean it always kind of happened, yeah. but especially... it's, just, it's even worse. Yeah. Although actually even worse. I would I would love it if like when Dumbledore was there, it actually started to run itself better. When he when he wasn't, wasn't there, there. Wasn't it started there, yeah. to like run itself better. Yeah. Like, I swear that's been done. The office, the US office, whenever Michael Scott's not there and suddenly, like, the office is, like, a lot better or something. Yeah, and it's actually not, running like, well. Distracting them. That's the same as Hogwarts. Yeah, yeah. It runs better when he's gone. So, yeah, Harry sees a spell that's Levi Corpus and written next to it is, like, a shortening for non verbal, which, like, implies that there are some spells that can only be non-verbal yeah. which is bizarre to me as well i have this note because it doesn't really make sense to me i always like because what we got earlier with the lessons and the explanation well it's barely explained but like the kind of descriptions of non-verbal magic was that it was doing existing spells non-verbally mm. it's really weird to me that there would be a spell that only works non-verbally so like what if I went Levi Corpus that wouldn't work but if I just thought it really hard like what? But also we've learned in previous books as in the first book in this series that the way magic works is with a specific one movement and that's not written down either like yeah. we're just we're just bulldozing over everything we've learned. Yeah. <laughs> Harry's just running on pure vice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so he thinks Levi Corpus just kind of waving his wand willy-nilly and Ron gets hoisted in the air by his ankle above his own bed and Ron is just upside down screaming everyone else is screaming I mean this is funny like this is this would be a hilarious way to not for Ron for everyone else in the room yeah and Harry's like flicking through the, the thing wildly to try to find the counter curse manages to let him down Ron's being like in relatively good humour about it. Mm. My question is, how is this different from Wingardium Leviosa? I suppose it's the ankles. But could you not like Wingardium Leviosa someone's ankles specifically? Maybe this is maybe this is only specifically to target other people. Like because you could use Wingardium Leviosa on like objects and presumably people, but this seems to be purely for bullying. <laughs> yeah, but then like why uh... would you need that spell? Surely you could just use 
But I think if you Wingardium Leviosa someone, it's their whole person. You can't like specify like an area of the body. It would be like your whole person. That's still funny. <laughs> it also might be because like the whatever to cap to whatever Harry does to cancel this out is just a spell out loud, right? Or no, he has to think so... it. He has to think it. So if you don't know what the spell is because you haven't said it out loud, you could just be presumably hanging there until someone else comes by to like... Yeah, and with yeah, Wingardium yeah. Leviosa, don't you have to keep like focusing on the object, right? Oh, yeah, so yeah, this just like... That. Yeah, they're just like yeah. up there until you let them down, presumably. Yeah, choose to let them down. That's Can we point. talk for a second, though, about the fact that they don't teach Latin at the school of like Latin-based <laughs> magic? Because like by all logical education standards harry should know exactly what levy corpus will do Literally, it's like because levy he should corpus speak latin body <laughs> right that, and the thing is i don't speak latin never had have have had any latin lessons but levy corpse like i can work that out yeah you know yeah. you got this harry come on and i mean <laughs> i don't so know dumb. what sectum sempra work means in latin but i assume that also that's one where he should have like if they taught him latin he should have been prepared for like yep. what is this gonna do am i about to murder malfoy yes or no like that <laughs> should he should know that because someone should have taught these children latin for the all the latin based magic they're doing <laughs> No yeah. Latin, no maths, vibes only. Yeah. I feel like I have a theory that that's like on purpose so that like most of the citizens of the magical world don't know enough to like overthrow the government. Because <laughs> it's like, you don't, you don't know Latin, you don't know how to create other magical spells. All the spells in the school, as we find out in this, in, in this chapter, are, you know, the Ministry of Magic approved mm. spells. And some of, so uh, presumably some of these textbooks, not as much as in the last book, but so I'm just sort of like, I'm like, I think this terrible education might be a little bit on purpose. Well, I re- it's sort of my theory. I read something really interesting the other day, which is kind of a thought I'd had like back of mind, but never like thought of fully. And it's the fact that in the books, when kids start to first show magic, they're obviously doing it without a wand. They're doing wandless magic. But the Wizarding Society has clearly gone, no, you need a wand to harness your magic. And then none of them can then do magic without a wand and isn't that actually a form of control like them mm. using wands because yeah. they clearly if they want to had the power to harness it through a different object or just harness it through themselves but like using wands is like actually could be seen as some form of control in the wizarding yeah. world i guess it's kind of like Wait. the wizarding equivalent of what we have here like the sociological principle of the invisible curriculum where the things that school are teaching you that you're not aware like things like you know how to actually sit there from nine o'clock to i mean here it's like 3 30 how to like do long hours it's preparing you to be a worker yeah and Mm -hmm. it's teaching you all kind of things that just lead to that social control so i guess yeah this is like the hogwarts wizarding world equivalent of the invisible curriculum where actually they're teaching them, but kind of not teaching them intentionally, teaching them to do things a certain way that will make them less of a threat. And I mean, we see in book seven, like when the ministry being controlled by the Death Eaters, like they're taking away people's wands, people are basically helpless, especially if you're not in the muggle world to know how to do muggle things. And like, you know, and obviously they can trace your magic. So it's all, so it's, it is very, a little bit like, mm. <laughs> There's a lot of 
there's a dark underbelly. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's a very dark underbelly to this world. But I even think, like, the things are like, oh, cool, getting a magic wand. Where it's like, okay, yeah, but then if your wand breaks, you're fucked. Yeah, exactly. Like, and they can take the wand away. Yeah. Like, Harry's a deeply, he's a powerful, he's like a magically powerful kid. But, like, he breaks, he gets his wand broken in the next book and he's just like, oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For, like, two, for, like, two-thirds of the book. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I think that like, the fact oh. that goblins want access to wands makes me feel like there is, like, some stuff that you can only do with a wand, but it doesn't yeah. seem like it should be all stuff that you can only do with a wand. Like, there should be a lot that you don't need a yeah, wand to be able to do. Yeah, because you guys read the um, Akhtar series? There's, um like, a species in that, and this is, like, this is not spoilery at all it's just like a element of it but there's like a species in that that like ridiculously powerful but they have to have like kind of like i picture them like gemstony like siphons to like siphon the magic to make it controllable and usable so i kind of picture ones like that is that they're actually kind of taking the magic and channeling it into something a bit more like actually like practical and applicable. Mm. Mm-hmm. so it's not that you mm-hmm. don't have magic you don't but it, that it probably gives you the upper hand of actually like wielding it yeah mm-hmm. yeah and i i'm just thinking about like that kid at the the quidditch world cup who's like inflating a slug by stealing one of their parents wands because that does seem to be totally vibe based magic like this kid has a wand that they can channel their wishes through and they're just like i want a big slug and it just yeah. works <laughs> you know yeah <laughs> Which would be great. But we know there's we know there's a specific spell that makes like, okay, eyebrow hairs grow really fast. Like that was done to someone in one book. But Harry, before he ever gets a wand or realizes he's a wizard, makes his own head hair grow back overnight just through wanting mm. to do it enough. Like I, I, I agree that ones are definitely like channeling the magic, but like it's mad that they wizards lose the ability to be able to do anything without it and aren't taught any backups in case their wand just suddenly snaps and we know how useless they are in every situation like mr weasley would die if he was left alone (laughs) yeah can you imagine if like because harry grows it back like in his sleep if your dreams could manifest as magic that would be so terrible (laughs) yeah that would be a l- literal nightmare. <laughs> it would be so bad. <laughs> I think that the notion that Hogwarts is actually, and the curriculum is a form of social control, actually really lends itself to further examination of Dumbledore. Because we kind of, we're presented in the text as Dumbledore as this like, you know, left-wing progressive thinker, but anyone, any adult with actual like critical thought, I think, can actually look at it and see that he's like, like very like questionably like liberal you know we know obviously from his shenanigans with Grindelwald that he's always like he's not always had like particularly great politics and I think that this really sheds light on his like political briefs at the time beliefs at like the time because and it's let's be honest it's probably a reflection of JK we criticize Harry Potter a lot because it kind of sets it up of all of these, you know, political systems that it wants to deconstruct, you know, things like the slavery of house elves, and then it just gives up on them. And I think that this is another really great example of it, if, you know, if, okay, we know that the Ministry of Magic doesn't control the curriculum, that it's just, it seems to be left up to the teachers and to Dumbledore. So 
if Dumbledore was actually like a progressive political thinker, could he not actually say, okay, no, we're not gonna, you know, uh, only teach with wands and words and whatnot? Could he not actually genuinely teach the kind of magic that could be revolutionary and could, you know, teach Latin so the students can create spells that would overthrow the government and therefore the systems of inequality within the magical world? But no, that's far too left-wing for Harry Potter. Instead, we're giving him this really, like, watered-down thing where it's like, this man is bad because he's killing muggles, but we're not going to actually dismantle the systems that led to his rise to power. We're just going to kill that one bad man and cross our fingers and it doesn't happen again. That was a very good point. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> not bad for a bitch that's hungover. <laughs> I think a lot of it is the failure in the author's imagination yeah. because I I was I was trying to think about this sort of difference where Hermione is like Harry don't use these spells they're untested they're possibly dangerous and part of me's like you know she's right Harry doesn't know what the fuck he's doing because Harry doesn't know enough to like be like I'll just do some spells who knows what'll happen out of a book but I also think that as much as I love Hermione she's generally suspect about Things that are like, I, I say punk, like <laughs> DIY kind of stuff. Because, okay, like she hates, she like is so scornful of uh, Luna and the Quibbler. Mm. And the Quibbler is basically like a punk zine about cryptoids, you know? <laughs> like it's great. And what what is happening with like Snape's book where it's like, Young Snape was being the magical equivalent of like sewing shut in the back of his denim jacket. He's like, I'm gonna create this shit. I wanna think outside the box about what I'm being told, like fuck the man, that kind of stuff. Yeah. In a way that like isn't being taught and you sort of have to, it feels like in this world you have to take it upon yourself to be self-taught and to like play around and like to do these things that are like, but that it still makes you kind of a weirdo. And I just think that we see I think everyone that we see who kind of embodies a sort of like DIY punk spirit is like people like Luna and Snape for good and for bad. Uh, Dumbledore, even though he's just in his own chess master bullshit kind of way. And like even like, I mean, even Voldemort, who clearly has created the Dark Mark spell and who who knows what other kind of bullshit he's, he's done to like split his soul seven times you know yeah. like you're not you're not supposed to do that clearly like, <laughs> i've done it anyway so i so i think it's just really interesting to kind of think about who in the books are like doing kind of out of the box like thinking and exploring with magic and like overall what the book is saying about people who are out of the box thinkers <laughs> yeah <laughs> and it's point. just unfortunate to have hermione to be like who's such a good character overall mm. who's just like no this shit is not legit. It's not through official channels. And it's like... Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a reflection of J.K. Rowling's own thinking in Hermione. Like, J.K. Rowling yeah. is not uh, open to ideas and out-of-the-box thinking or, you know, considering nope. um, anyone else's uh, point of view or life experience. So, good one, J.K. Anyway, right. That was a great tangent about magic. I really liked that tangent. That was that was uh, that was really good. I really like the anecdote when Harry, not anecdote, the thought that Harry has when he's thinking about like this spell and the 
the the Harper Prince book, he says that the prince has proved a more effective teacher than Snape, <laughs> which I just love. Like very good setup, well done. Like that's really funny when you read the book again once you know the reveal at the end. So Ron's telling Hermione what has happened with the Levy Corpus, and Harry suddenly remembers that he actually saw his dad do this to Snape, which definitely does tie into what I was saying earlier about like Harry cursing people in corridors and it mm. being like his dad. There is definitely meant to be parallels right now of Harry kind of becoming his dad whether that's good or bad i question how everyone in this school because i swear someone says this spell was a fashion how they all learn this non-verbal spell like how the hell do you work it out if everyone's doing it non-verbally yeah i guess someone must tell someone must tell Tell someone someone must tell someone yeah snape must have told someone originally if he was the inventor of it yeah i i like this idea of getting like spell crazes because I don't know if you guys, like, in America got, like, crazes in school where, like, one thing would just be, like, everyone would hyperfixate on it for yeah. a while. Scooby-Doo's. Yeah. Scoobies. What were Scoobies, they called? Scoobies, yeah. Scoobies. Yeah. Um... <laughs> we had a big yo-yo period in the late oh, 90s. Yeah. <laughs> oh, That's a good one. Love that. Um, but, yeah, so I like the idea that Hogwarts also has that, but with yeah. spells, and I think it's a shame that we don't get to see that in Harry's, like year group yeah i think that's so but cool they don't do... they don't have time for a focus they're dealing with harry's shit every yeah. year and also like we have a yeah. running joke about how inobservant harry is so it probably is like there's loads of massive crazes there's probably like wild fashion crazes and harry just oblivious to anyone that isn't himself yeah yeah i feel like harry harry has is having the like the least fun school year of like anyone ever that we know of in these in these book series like everyone else is like right going to parties and being obsessed with like color changing scrunchies or something and Harry's just like Voldemort's always trying to get yeah. yeah I actually also think that's why the Harry Potter fandom and like fan fiction community and everything like that exploded as much as it did because everyone wants to be at Hogwarts but no one wants to go through the shit Harry's going through they want to do all the cool things that normal kids would do but at a magic school like there's so much to play with with that if you take Harry and all his murdery stuff out of the equation I know I think <laughs> even outside of that I now i'm just like oh i would never go to totally. yeah <laughs> no thanks absolutely yeah. not. everyone there is disregard for bullying and child safety i'm like oh, i'm yeah. good mm, yeah i'm fine watford yeah. any day over hogwarts <laughs> <laughs> hermione points out that the death eaters also used this or a very similar spell at the quidditch world cup and they argue about it for a bit. And Harry is being really, really belligerent. He is totally ignoring like Hermione's point about it being used at the World Cup because the book is an advantage to him and he's enjoying using it. Like his disregard for her point about it being used at the World Cup is actually pretty yeah. shocking. Like, yeah, they don't know if the prince is bad or good. And yeah, Hermione does have issues with things that aren't like sanctioned texts but she raises a really good point about what was done at the world cup and he's just like no 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 i can tell the prince is cool like it's fine it's chill i feel really bad for hermione because i feel like hermione's like you're following an internet troll on youtube and harry's like no but he showed me so much cool stuff Why, why would you say that he's like bad or evil yeah and hermione and hermione's point is that like it's not just like learn how to grow cooler plants here's how to make water into wine stuff that is like sort of innocuous it's like here's how to bully other people (laughs) yeah and like not be overheard and it feels like such a problem because 
because I don't think that the book wants us to be upset with Harry, even though through this whole chapter and then through the whole book, everyone is making such good points, but he's, and in the end, he's right. Malfoy yes. did do all of this. And like, and so, the, so it's just justified. I don't know. Like, it, I, I don't think we're being asked to judge Harry for the way that he is behaving. I think we're being asked to judge Hermione and Ron. I mean, later about the Malfoy thing and Hermione here about the the spell thing and it's like but but harry's being really shitty actually like and really unreasonable yeah so they all head down to hogsmeade and quickly realize it's a horrible day outside which i'm like did you not look at the weather like what's wrong with you like look outside your windows (laughs) they go into honeydukes and slughorns like you have been avoiding all the parties and harry has been avoiding all the parties he's been specifically scheduling quidditch practice over them which is nice in the way he is trying to save ron from having to be the only one out of the group left behind but hermione's been left on her own to go to these parties every single time and he's like, nah, Hermione doesn't matter. I'm going to look after Ron. Which, like, Ron is the worst one off in this situation. Hermione is a, like, sh- she can make, fr- like, she can talk to people at the party. She'll be fine. So Harry's, like, being a good friend to Ron. But Hermione's like, would you just come to mm. one of them? I feel like mm-hmm. Harry could do, like, every other. No, he really doesn't. Well, he doesn't like Slughorn, so. Yeah, but, like, leaving Hermione is a bit harsh. Especially because she literally says him, Ron, and Ginny at Quidditch all giggle about the fact that Hermione is there on her own. I'm yeah, like, you horrible it's people. Mean. Yeah, that's like so rude. Yeah. And it's like, I just hope Hermione's having a great time and like having like this like deep intellectual conversations that she's never getting with Harry and Ron. I just hope, I just wish that for yeah. her. Yeah. I mean, yeah. most importantly, she's getting free food. So. Mm. <laughs> fancy food too yeah i, I think i noted down because this is sort of like a shocking thing for because jesse and i are in book four in our podcast and mm. so jumping from book four harry to this harry i'm like we because we've been talking a lot about like how harry is a better person than jk rowling is you know and here i'm like oh harry is getting meaner like yes i think he's getting meaner as she's getting richer because like mm. It is scientifically studied that, like, the richer you get, the worse of a person you are. And I'm like, is she just reflecting back, like, her declining morality in Harry as she writes? And it's funny because we talked about how there is a really, really nice bit of character development book five to the beginning of book six where in book five harry's on the train and he thinks god i wish i was sitting in a carriage full of cooler people than luna Mm. and neville and then in book six he's like you are cool you are with me at the ministry these are my friends Mm -hmm. and now like he's arrived in school and be like jesus christ i didn't realize i was popular actually i am gonna be a fucking dickhead like like Mm -hmm. we've slid back on that nice bit of character development that was done i think that jk goes between like projecting herself through either Hermione or Harry like we definitely see a lot of her shittiness through both of them we talk a lot about how JK and therefore Harry uses physical appearance as like some kind of moral compass Mm -hmm. where like if a character (sighs) is unattractive in you know and I use air quotes unattractive in some way typically they are evil a bad character but if they're really like attractive then they tend to be good and i think that that's you know very much one of jk's own biases coming through 
But also if they're too attractive, they're also bad. Because if you go full like young Tom Riddle or Malfoy or Blaze Zabini, it's Mm -hmm. like, oh, you're too hot and now you're evil again. Yeah. And we know she also does it a lot where it's any character that has like traits of like the opposite sex tends to be evil. Like, you know, we have Voldemort described in, like, very feminine ways. Dumbledore is, like, very feminine at times. Like, I think, and we know that you guys have great theories on this, the headcanons on this that we will talk about later, but the only real exception is Hagrid, really, that is, like, a good character that is described as, like, feminine. And... I mean, I have my own personal headcanons about whether Hagrid maybe at some point during the writing process was intended to, like, plot twist be a bad character in some way. But yeah, like, Hagrid is the only real exception to that. And as we now know, obviously, that was JK. That was the early red flags about JK's views on gender and and trans people coming through with her being like, oh, if you're not a man that's masculine or a female that's feminine, then you must be bad. And I think that she just like clearly hates femininity generally because Mm, one of the big tells for both Umbridge and Pansy Parkinson that they're bad is like them and even just like Lavender and uh, Parvati who are also supposed to be like silly, like we're not supposed to take them seriously, is their femininity. Like Hermione and Ginny are the right kind of feminine, which is like not like the other girls' girls. Yes. But if you are like the other girls, then like you also are not someone that we should take seriously or respect. Yes. And I mean, this happens with Floor, too, Mm. where it's like she is, she's a like champion of her school. She like marries into the Weasley family, the sort of goodest of the good of you know, pure uh, people in this book, essentially. And the way that like Molly and Jenny just drag the shit out of floor until it's basically like, oh, you're not just a pretty face interested in a pretty face, which clearly was never the thing. If she was the fucking Bobaton like champion, mm-hmm. like what? Yeah. Mm. <laughs> and just, I think all the like femphobia around just like n- the way that floor is made fun of in a way that's like just so unnecessary yeah it's just like ugh. floor and really? madame maxime both have to like prove that their femininity is okay madame maxime by like going hiking question mark <laughs> and then floor by continuing to love bill even after he's not beautiful anymore and it's like what if they just were like fine in their own right even yeah. though they like yeah. looking beautiful like what mm-hmm. I'm just gesticulating and we can't see each other anymore, so we <laughs> don't know that, but... Yeah, no, definitely. Like, J.K. Rowling was 100% a pick-me girl. You know she was. Yeah, like, definitely. Uh, I yeah. can picture her back in high school being like, I'm just not like other girls, you know? Like, I just, I get along with guys better. Uh, all of that pick-me bullshit, you just I'm, know. I cannot stop imagining, like, Avril Lavigne with J.K. Rowling's face right now. <laughs> <laughs> design that i need it oh my gosh yeah i think how we got onto this point was like yeah all of this is coming out in like the writing more as the books advance and, and jk rowling is getting more rich and more confident in herself in that harry is kind of 
yeah kind of becoming not a great person but not in an intentional way where it, he's going to like learn a lesson and oh maybe i shouldn't have done that in a way where it's just like nah it's fine he's a bit of a dickhead because he's kind of popular and good looking this year yeah i do yeah i think that his like early flaws were like intentional and she intentionally wrote in character development and now his flaws are like her unconscious biases yeah definitely so they leave the sweet shop and spot two people across the rows and it's mundungus and who harry describes as the barman of the hogshead obviously we know that's aberforth and they're talking aberforth walks off and i hadn't kind of picked up on this before is this the moment or the setup for aberforth buying the mirror like i I think it must be because we know Mm. aberforth bought the mirror off mundungus is this put in there oh whoa but then uh, that made me question how did Aberforth know about the mirror? Like, I swear in book seven, he's just like, yeah, I got it off Mundungus. But like, how the hell did he know about it? Did he just, does he say something about recognizing it? Like, I'm going to find out when we read the next book, mm. but I've just forgotten. I, someone told him what it was. I guess it probably was Dumbledore. Mm. But yeah, I think that's why this is in here. I think this is the setup for Aberforth getting the mirror in the next yeah. book, which is really cool. I never noticed that. Yeah, that's a great observation. Um, Harry then is like, hey, Mundungus, and they start kind of chatting and Mundungus clearly wants to leave. And it realize, Harry realises Dun- Mundungus has stolen all of Sirius's stuff. So <laughs> Harry's idea is just like, oh, I'm going to pin him against a wall by his throat. When did Harry become such mm. a physically aggressive person? He's like, yeah, I'm going to slam this man in a chokehold against the wall. Yeah. I mean, this is a full PTSD moment. He's, I mean... Yeah, because this is just like a visceral reminder of Sirius's death. And I think he just gets like super fucking triggered, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I suppose he also did grow up in a household where like physical aggression was pretty normal. So sometimes we actually see throughout the books, his gut instinct isn't to use magic. Sometimes like he jumped on Malfoy in the last book physically rather than use magic against him. Like Harry does have this reaction. But yeah, he gets so angry because yeah, Mandungus was kind of a friend to Sirius in the Order and has done something really, really abhorrent and stolen all of Sirius's stuff. Obviously, Mundungus can apparate and Harry can't do that, so he apparates away. And then I got really confused because Tonks appears for literally two lines and then they don't even say she leaves. She just is no longer there. Like, why the hell is she in this chapter? I was so confused. You know, I actually was... I actually was kind of annoyed by that because I feel like I wrote in my notes that like I love talks I love tonks but clearly cops ain't shit <laughs> because mm. she just like yeah whatever I can't do anything about Mundungus Flexure and like a fortune worth of, worth of like goblin rot silver goblins yeah. sorry bro you know which is like kind of shit yeah. <laughs> so, okay but you could do something about it couldn't you 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 could do you could report him or stop him doing well no they can't report him because it's order stolen stuff yeah. that's the thing or or at least be like you can't just steal things from our secret headquarters yeah. <laughs> you know like <laughs> yeah i mean it's quite a good parallel for how like police cops whatever in like real life are just there to maintain the structures and like social order that benefits the bourgeoisie as opposed to protecting the proletariat like 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 we're sold it's like the police are there for your your protection and then in reality no it's it's to create social order but then i was also thinking because then i was like 
that's really shitty of you, Dumbledore, to have not told Mundungus not to steal shit. But then I'm like, how are they funding the order? Was Dumbledore like, we need a fence because this shit is expensive? And at the very least, Sirius would find it very funny. And I'm kind of like, I'm kind of like, what is going on behind the scenes of this? Of all of yeah, this is the thing. Maybe Dumbledore should have gone to Harry and been like, look, dude, the order costs loads and long term we need to be Voldemort. Can I sell your godfather shit? Like, you're not going to mind. Can I sell it, please? Uh, yeah, but yeah, but Dumbledore separates away. I, I just don't understand why Tonks is in this chapter. Like, she's literally mm. like, oh, there's nothing I can do. Go inside. And Harry goes inside and it, he doesn't say, oh, and then Tonks walked off. It's just like, She's literally two sentences and she's gone. I really didn't understand it. I think it's just I think JK it's to remind trying us to make that... talks happen. Make talks happen. <laughs> Isn't it? I think it's to remind us that like that the school is being watched over by the order, I think. Yeah, I, I think, it, yeah, I, I, I agree. I think it's probably to remind us that like, hey people are watching the school and like Tonks mm. the order is kind of there in the background so Harry goes into the pub and is really angry and they have the most awkward drink ever <laughs> like Harry's just pissed off so he doesn't say anything Ron is eyeing up Madame Rosmerta <laughs> big time Hermione calls him out he's then like no I was doing nothing Ron she's glaring at him <laughs> so excuse <laughs> <laughs> Truly, uh, truly. I just have. I we just have to pause on Ron loves a milk, which is just yes, and then also just of course, of course he does. We I mean, also I'm- need to acknowledge the extremely ridiculous writing choice, which is that Ron had long nursed a quote unquote soft spot for Madame Rosmerta, and it's like you just wrote that so that in the future we could make dick jokes because clearly <laughs> that is not the kind of spot he is nursing for her. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I never normally relate to Ron, but Ron having, like, a thing for a MILF, I'm like, absolutely, yes, I am in this moment, Ron. <laughs> yeah, we are a very pro-Madame Rosemary podcast. We actually have a audio fanfic about her and Madame Hooch. That's oh, yeah, yes. Very... <laughs> It's the most explicit one we've done so far. And we were both laughing <laughs> so hard the entire time. My only issue with that is that, that we're uh, big believers in the Hogwarts lesbian thruple. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a big part of our podcast. So that is um, Sprout, uh, Hooch, and Grubbly Plank. Um, oh, no McGonagall that, in there. That's that's who's in the thruple, isn't it? McGonagall yeah. visits, but she is not part of the core thruple. Mm. Uh, but they own a cottage in the grounds. They own some animals. They have a vegetable patch, and it's a really, really cute time. Yeah. Adorable. Yeah. Um, I will I love give this. you, though, because if you have Hooch and Rosemerita together, you get to call them Madams Hooch and Rosemerita, uh, <laughs> which is madams. very satisfying. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I just also, yeah, I just love this idea of this this angry, awkward drink between the three of them as well. Like, this could be one of those moments in Harry Potter that would make, like, great a comedic moment in the films or, like, a TV show because they're all just, like, sitting there stewing, not talking, and then Harry finishes his drink really quickly. He's like, right, let's leave then. <laughs> like, the three of them are not having fun together. No. 
So Harry, they walk, they they start to walk out, and Harry um, gets angry at the thought of Ginny and Dean in Madame Puddyfoots, but doesn't know why because mm. Harry has never had a thought in his brain his entire life. <laughs> I also oh. love it that Harry's like kind of been like re-triggered and gotten really like upset because of like a massive violation of his uh, deceased godfather's home and possessions, and then five minutes later he's like. Yeah, I want to fuck Ginny. Like, no, no, no. He's like, my dick has feelings for Ginny, but I don't know what they could mean. I'm so confused. It's just like a wild, like, how did, what was, I want to see the chain of thoughts, like, that led him from Sirius's death to Ginny. Like, okay, what have was you the seen, have you watched Heartstopper yet? No, not yet. Oh my God. I, I, it's on my list. There's a moment in there where a teacher says, wow, being a teenager is terrible. And I feel like that's what applies here. It's just yeah. like that roller coaster ride that Harry goes on. Like that is just what being 16 is. Yeah. Being 16 and full of hormones. Yeah. yeah I mean, those two things go together. But also, that's fair. he was just thinking about Sirius. So maybe he just got a bit like hot and bothered yeah. thinking about his memories <laughs> of how sexy Sirius was. Yes. And his weird, confusing feelings for his god daddy. I mean, godfather. Um, <laughs> and, you know, and then that kind of led him on to like thinking about Ginny somehow. Exactly. Yeah. It's all linked. It's people he's fancied. It's fine. Yeah. It's all good. So they leave the pub and they're following Katie Bell and a friend. And Harry kind of clocks onto the fact that Katie. Katie and this friend are arguing and Katie looks like she's holding a package and the girls start to fight and the package drops to the floor and suddenly like Katie Bell just starts rising into the air with her arms stretched out and then she just starts screaming. Obviously it is Harry on Hermione like five meters behind them. Who else could it be? Like yeah. no chance anyone else could be caught behind Katie Bell in this moment. So Katie Bell falls to the floor and she's screaming and writhing in agony. Harry runs for help. Very sensible. Well done. Immediately finds Hagrid who comes and helps them, picks Katie up and just sprints into the school with her. Hermione's comforting the friend Leanne and Harry goes to look at the package on the ground and sees it's an opal necklace and harry showing a rare moment of having thoughts and memories is like i recognize that necklace from borgen and burks when i when i was 12 years old from no, you four don't, years you ago fucking oh liar. <laughs> you know i also i was also like really yeah. really really four years ago <laughs> how distinctive is this necklace this is what i'm wondering because it just says like an opal necklace but like I would buy it if it was, like, some really elaborate, like, with some weird, like, sigil or something. But, like, it's just an opal necklace. But even then, Harry's seeing it on the ground in a torn package covered in sleet and snow. There is no fucking way he's immediately remembering this Yeah, from. The boy doesn't recognise his own teacher's handwriting in this book. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't realise that his two best friends are in love with each other. Yeah. There is no way he is like, I recognise that necklace mm. from four years ago when I was hiding in a cupboard i mean i'm it's further evidence that harry is a bicon it's clearly his campsite being like oh yes love that <laughs> cute <laughs> yeah I, i'm calling bullshit on that one yeah. um leanne the friend says katie came back from the bathroom holding the package and looked funny and leanne's now realizing that she's been imperious which this is really horrible for leanne like she doesn't know if Katie's gonna die and she was trying to prevent whatever happened from happening but like 
she must be thinking I should have tried harder I should have done something more my favourite moment before this is uh, Ron just goes to grab it yeah literally <laughs> Ron you absolute himbo yeah. like <laughs> I can't touch it's, it. it's like it's like no one goes to a magic school and knows anything about being caught this late yep. yeah I mean why would you touch it with your hands <laughs> my only thing I will say in Ron's defence is maybe it's like the thing when a waiter gives you a like really hot plate and they're like the plate's hot and like then you have to touch it yeah like okay like <laughs> is it actually hot and then you touch it and you burn yourself and you're like yeah yeah it was hot yeah <laughs> i just i just feel like whoever this leanne chick is is like she has a good head on her shoulder she is like <laughs> showing so much like i didn't want her to just have this random package Oh my god, maybe she's been imperioed. Like, they need to be her friend. I mean, not for her sake, because she would die. But <laughs> she clearly is paying attention to what's happening around her. <laughs> oh dear. Yeah, it's so, like, how was... There are so many reasons this plan was never going to work. A, we find out in literally two sentences that Dumbledore was not in the school. B, Filch has security sensors at the door, so the package would have been stopped. C... Katie was with someone and any friend is going to be like, why the fuck did you get a package from the bathroom and why are you taking it up to the school? Like, no, do you do, you do realize we're in a war right now. <laughs> Can we check in for one second though about the fact that it's Filch who's doing this checking. Yes. Again, he cannot do magic. So like <laughs> imperious Katie is just going to ca- curse him and take yeah, the yeah. thing in the school. Like he is also- the last person that you should have checking the kids as they re-enter because he can't do anything about it. That's a really good point. If one of them pulls out a weapon, what's he gonna do? Beat them with a broom. (laughs) Beat them to death with his broom. That's a really good point. I have a really random note that do you guys ever do the thing, because I make my notes on my phone, but do you guys ever get like auto-corrected and you're like, I'm just going to leave it because what auto-correct said was actually better? (laughs) 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 Um, Because I obviously it didn't really recognize Borgen and Burke, so it auto-corrected both words. So from now on, on this podcast, the shop is called virgin and buried because i'm not kidding <laughs> that is what it auto-corrected to oh, wow oh. stop it i was like i'm just gonna leave that so yeah from now on borgen and burks is virgin, virgin and buried. buried it's not that different no <laughs> McGonagall meets them and they go up to her office and i do think it was one of the best script editions in the film where she goes why is it always you three like truly <laughs> yes <laughs> Because we're in a Harry Potter book. <laughs> Leanne explains what happens and then McGonagall sends her off to get something for shock because girl is really not coping very well, bless her. And Harry's then immediately like, can I see Dumbledore? And McGonagall is so offended. She's like, hey, he's out the school, but I'm sure whatever you want to tell the headmaster, you can tell me. <laughs> like, as she should be. Like, yeah. yeah. Like, why does Harry think so little of McGonagall? Because she's kind of mean. <laughs> <laughs> no, she's an icon. Take that back. She's no, perfect I agree, in but every like, way. When he says she doesn't invite confidences, I feel like that's true. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I also, I also think part of it is that the way that we see McGonagall react to things are very similar to the way that Hermione responds to things. And Harry's like, I already have a Hermione. Yeah. <laughs> 
don't need another one. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. Harry then is like, I think it was Draco Malfoy. And Hermione and McGonagall are immediately like on the same. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Harry's just fighting the same person in the room. And literally the three of them, Harry, Ron, Hermione, start to have a full-blown argument in front of McGonagall. And it's so embarrassing to read. Like they're fully like, and Ron at one point pipes into this argument with Draco would have looked pretty stupid wearing a necklace down the street. Ron, A, it's cursed. B, it's a necklace. You put it in a box in a package. What's wrong with you? Yeah, I like to think that during this um, argument, obviously unbeknownst to Harry because he's so unobservant, but I like to think that McGonagall just walks over to the corner, picks up her little cat saucer full of whiskey (laughs) and just starts sipping from it in human form. These three again. (laughs) It, I feel like throughout that whole passage, I you could someone could have been like Harry, chill about your crush, and it would have just fit perfectly into yeah. this. Yeah, because everyone's like, why do you automatically always go to Malfoy for this? And the thing is, <laughs> Harry is like, it does annoy me because he turns out to be right, and it is the only time in any book Harry has turned out to be right. But McGonagall's literally like, Draco was in detention with me, and Harry's like, well, he must have had an accomplice who also set the Imperius, which is true, but oh, it's so irritating. <laughs> it is It is pretty irritating. Yeah. Also, I really hope, as I was thinking about this, I'm like, getting detention for missing like two essays is kind of, is kind of rough. But I really am just like, maybe McGonagall's like, I don't know what's going on in your life, Draco, probably because your parents are Death Eaters, but can you, like, finish these essays <laughs> while I sit over here as a cat? That, yeah, that's the other thing, actually. Like, McGonagall's like, yeah, Draco hasn't turned in three of his essays. We're still really early in the year. We're only mid-October. There is clearly, from anyone's perspective, something really, really, really wrong with Draco, and nobody but Snape knew or worked it out. Like, yeah. he wasn't turning in essays, he looked terrible in class, his marks were failing, and people know his father was in jail for being a Death Eater. Somebody should have... Well, no, the thing is, Dumbledore did know the whole time, yeah. but, like, the other teachers should have been doing more. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Where is the safeguarding? There is none. So McGonagall tells them to shut it, which she doesn't. She's like, stop it now and get out my room. And they carry on discussing it back up to the common room where Ron casually turfs a first year out of a chair and Hermione's like, no, no, kicks Ron out of the chair and puts the first year back in the chair. I just love it. I just love shit like that. <laughs> yep, I really liked that. Yeah. And Harry, for the rest of the chapter, is just like, but I wonder what Draco did. How did Draco do it? But how did Draco do it? He's obsessed. Obsessed. And that's the end of the chapter. What did you guys think of it? Yeah. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) actually, actually, sorry. I think what I actually so so many things it's so many things happen. It's actually such a trip to go from book four to book six (laughs) and be like wow harry you do not have to be this much of an asshole yeah Yeah. definitely harry's the worst (laughs) the worst main character ever like he's having a rough time but i'm also like you don't have to be like this (laughs) yeah do you like this chapter as a good like middle transitional points there's a lot of setup and a lot of hints for what's going to go on later in the books but we're not in full like yeah crazy plot mode yeah foreshadows and callbacks we get some like good hogwarts moments but also get some stuff that like moves the plot along i think it's like a really good chapter i really really enjoyed this one do you guys want to take some time to basically like 
t- tell our listeners why they should 100% go and listen to The Gaby Prophet and your other podcasts. Like, yeah. please tell us. You So you guys are in book four at the moment. Like, w- where are you? What's going on? Also, tell us about your Hagrid headcanon. Oh my God, yeah, we skipped out on that. No, start with that. Okay, um, so since episode seven of our podcast, we have been reading Hagrid as a trans woman, which started, I believe in the chapter where she has Norbert and is referring to herself as mummy. And we sort of took that and like all this other information that we had from various places in the books. And in, in episode, we're starting to be like, Oh, interesting. And then we're like, okay, we have to pause. We have to like think about this and ended up bringing a friend of the podcast, May Rude on who does like trans consulting for media and we're like all right on the record let us run this by you and it was Mm. like hagrid can interact with unicorns i think is our biggest one like we love a (gasps) magical gender confirmation yeah um and like unicorns don't tolerate men but unicorns Uh... love hagrid and that was basically we were like yep cool it's it's right there. It's in the text. That's so I love cool. That. I never thought about that. Oh my god, how did we miss that? Yeah, that's sick. I love that. Also, Hagrid is a giant outdoor lesbian because I think both Lark and I know outdoor lesbians who are like Hagrid. <laughs> <laughs> Very like woodsy, loves animals. Yeah, like the most the most cottagecore lesbian. Honestly. Yes. Yeah. Oh my god. I, I actually I love, love that. this theory yeah. so much. That unicorn thing is awesome. I'm gonna be thinking about that. Like that's yeah. that's so cool. Yeah, but also please take some time to like tell our listeners like where you are in the books right now, why they should come over and listen to the Gaily Prophet and your other your other um Ruthless Productions podcasts. Yeah, we're really funny and really smart and we make really good, like thoughtful podcasts that also are like super super hilarious so when we get when we get dark we immediately come back out and make you happy um i think we have a pretty similar vibe to what you folks have going yeah on. yeah and it's just like a really it's a really good time i don't know jesse you should say some stuff <laughs> yeah um yeah so we're we're in book we're like maybe sort of halfway through book four nice. we're on the second task uh, oh on the second task yeah so we have several years more of harry potter <laughs> So many years because at this point we're doing half a chapter at a time. Oh my god! Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think my hair will be completely gray. <laughs> seven, which is gonna be fun. I'm gonna like dye it. It's gonna be really cute. And just for like any queer listeners, we are just. This is a, a very, it's a very hella queer podcast. We just love talking about you know cottagecore lesbian hair Hagrid and you know Harry, Harry's obvious crush on Draco and you know. Yeah. All these other fun, fun times you could have. And we love getting into like the politics of the books, the kind of like ranting about the education in these in this school and about, you know, things that are vaguely related to like sciencey nature stuff. I'm a big animal person, so whenever possible, I'm always just like, let me talk about owls yeah. <laughs> or unicorns or birds. And it's just like 
Yeah, we will um, sit down and do the math to tell you how big of a wingspan a horse would need to be able to fly, for instance, when you have um, hippogriffs come up in the podcast. So. Oh my god, that's more I intense mean, than us working out the speed of an owl to fly to Egypt. <laughs> yes. No, I love that. I definitely agree. I think there's a lot of like good potential overlap with people like us, because yeah, we do the funny but dark serious points, and we're also hella queer, so... If you like us, you will like them. So go listen. Yeah, go. Yeah, right and they'll be Turn able to listen off. to you on our podcast very yes. shortly too. Yes. So. Which is really exciting. Yeah, I'm so excited to come on. And I'm so excited to go back to like a book we've already done. That's really fun to do. Um, I also want to say like a lot of your listeners who maybe don't even know who we are have probably seen our guide to firing JK Rowling around on the internet. Mm, so yeah, like, yeah. that's I love us. That you we did made that. that. If you like that come on over we will if you haven't seen it we will link that below yeah it's it's so awesome well thank you guys so much for coming on um this has been amazing we're gonna should we turn video back on see if we can have it for the last like minute to say goodbye (laughs) thank you so much for coming on this has been amazing and we're so excited to pop on your podcast that's gonna be that's gonna be really fun it's gonna be great it's gonna be so great I, I guess we'll come up with a cocktail or maybe you guys will Ooh, Ooh, we can do that oh, we, yeah. we've, we've got some recipes <laughs> yeah we drink a lot <laughs> <laughs> do we us no way but thank you guys so much for listening to this episode and we will all see you in the next one bye bye thank you for listening to this episode of Goblet of Wine to find us on social media search at Goblet of Wine Pod on Twitter or at Goblet of Wine Podcast on Instagram we also have a website over at www.gobletofwine.co.uk where you can keep up with everything that we do this podcast is produced by our wonderful Hufflepuff tier patrons Yolanda Thomas Sir Bandersnatch Samuel RMG Phoenix Patrick Nick Lewis Layla Catherine, Ashley, Ash, and Emily. If you'd like to support this podcast, check out our Goblet of Wine Patreon, where you can also gain access to bonus episodes, behind-the-scenes content, and our Discord. Thank you so much for listening to this episode, and we'll see you in the next one. Bye! Bye.